You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Welcome here to Hill City. I'm Jake, our associate pastor here. Our lead pastor, Josh, like Dave said, is gone in Australia this morning, visiting his family, visiting his parents, and he used it as a sermon illustration last week, and some of you are like, oh, you're just uh, talking about it in the sermon. No, he's there, and he's not coming back, so we'll see. Uh, no, he'll be back, hopefully, please. Um, but as a church, we, uh, we have been going through the Fruit of the Spirit series. Anybody been enjoying this series? So far, come on! Uh, it's been really good. And uh, after today, it's going to tank. Um, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's great. Um, so, as Josh was kind of laying out this series, uh, he got Pastor Andrew and I together and said, "Okay, I'm going to be gone a few weeks. Pick one of these that you want. Pick one of the fruit uh, that you desire to eat, and then to preach." And so, first, I saw on there love, and I'm like, "Nice love. I love love." But of course, it was taken by Josh, and I preached on love. The last two sermons I've preached, I'm like, we'll pass. It's okay. It's all right. Self-control, definite pass. Um, <laughs> patience, give that one to the church planner. We'll give that to the guest speaker. Don't need to do that one. Then aside, goodness. That's the one. That's the one I want. That's the one we're doing. So we're talking about goodness here this morning. Are you ready for this today? Got 57 slides that's not an exaggeration, so buckle up. Uh, <clears throat> goodness is good. It's so good. In fact, it's so good that it's good for you. Here's some five benefits of doing good. This is a scientific study that I found on WebMD. So that's how you know it's, this is legit, guys. This is legit. Uh, it does say doing good can result in death, but that's just WebMD. They always, they always say that at the very end. Legally, they have to. Um, five positive effects of doing good. Number one, your oxytocin levels go up and your stress levels go down. Would anybody like their stress levels to go down? Yes, definitely. Uh, number two, it gives you the helper's high when you do good. So what happens is dopamine is triggered in your brain and then endorphins are released. So when you do good, you often end up feeling good. Number three, uh, in association with this, it decreases depression and increases happiness. Again, sign me up. Number four, this one is crazy. It increases life expectancy. And they did tons of different, this is like actually 50 um, different scientific studies put together. And they, the study said this, they found 44% reduction in early death among those who volunteered a lot, a greater effect than exercising four times a week. So stop exercising and start doing good. Number five, it motivates you to keep doing good. So when you do good, it motivates you to keep doing good. In fact, they found that when you keep, when you think back on good things that you've done, it somehow motivates you to want to do it again. Um, so that's, that's like five really good things that happen when you do good things. Uh, but even... Even when we know that, and even when we want to do good things, which I think in our hearts we're like, yeah, we want to do good, uh, we have, over these last two years, just become so tired. Right? We've kind of grown weary 
of doing good, just because all that is going on in our world. And this has even been dubbed as compassion fatigue. Has anybody heard of that? Compassion fatigue. Psychology Today says, here's the symptoms. Symptoms of compassion fatigue can include exhaustion, disrupted sleep, anxiety, headaches, stomach upset, irritability, numbness, a decreased sense of purpose, emotional disconnection, self-contempt, and difficulties with personal relationships. Anybody identify? Yikes. D, all the above, maybe. With all that is going on in our world over these last year, two years, many of us have experienced these symptoms. Uh, let me take you through three helping professions as a case study for just one moment. Uh, we're going to start with our healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, anybody in that department. Do we have any healthcare workers in the room today? Come on, there we go. Let's give it up for these guys. Man, thank you for keeping us alive. Thank you for doing all those 12-hour shifts day after day. We thank you so much. Uh, Morning Consult Research, they took a poll of 1,000 healthcare workers, uh, and they asked them a few questions about working through these last two years of the pandemic, and they found that 31% of those they surveyed have considered leaving their jobs, leaving um, the profession. And then they found that 18% had They had quit their jobs during the pandemic. And they said this, before the pandemic, burnout among healthcare workers was well documented. The pandemic turned it into a crisis. A key component of burnout is depletion, which is characterized by feeling physically and emotionally drained, just barely hanging on. And so there's so much good that our healthcare workers have done for us these last two years, but man, there's just so much going on. It feels like there's just this huge wall of need right in front of our healthcare workers, and so many are tired even though they continue to tirelessly work for us. How about teachers in the room? Any teachers in the room? Yes, give it up for our teachers, come on. (laughs) Teachers, first of all, they had to teach little kids and middle school, high school online. There is a special place in heaven for these people who taught little kids online. Wow. Um, They've had to deal with just changes day in, day out. And so there's a lot of weariness and tired among teachers. This this study found, this is a national survey, they found that 20% of teachers had reported symptoms within these last two years uh, consistent with clinical depression, 37% um, feeling generalized anxiety, and then 53% said that they had considered leaving that profession altogether. And so teachers are doing so much good and are so tired through this pandemic and through so much these last two years. Pastors, uh, Josh shared this uh, just a few weeks ago, but Barna Research found that 38% of pastors have thought about quitting full-time ministry in the past year. So that's just a little case study of some helping professions where people are doing good but they've grown weary, and they're tired, and I think all of us can feel that, and maybe you've felt that uh, recently. You want to keep doing good, but you're, you're exhausted, and you're tired, and maybe even in the midst of all this, all that's gone on over these last two years, and now, now war in Ukraine. Maybe you're even not only tired of doing good, but you're asking this question, God, are you good? Is God good? So here's two questions we're going to tackle this morning. We're going to wrestle through. Number one, 
Is God good? And then number two, how do we keep going? As we've grown weary, as we've grown tired, how do we not give up but continue to do good? But before we can answer those questions, we have to look at what even is goodness. So open up to Galatians 5.22. This is uh, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the passage we've been in for the last several weeks. And it says this. I'm going to have you read it out loud with me. Here's the thing. First service, I said, read it out loud with me. I started reading. Nobody did anything. (laughs) So I made them do it again, and then they all did it. So just do it the first time with me, okay? All right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Yeah, yeah, you guys are way better. Um, Don't tell them. Um, So goodness is the Greek word agathosune, which I won't make you repeat, which Josh normally does. But it means this, goodness, kindness, generosity. Uh, Sometimes it's associated with righteousness, but in this specific context, this word, which only shows up four times in the New Testament and doesn't show up at all in any secular Greek literature whatsoever, this is strictly a biblical word, this word is tied to kindness. They're like cousins. They're in the same family. So goodness and kindness are these relational fruit. It's what we do for other people. It conveys this idea of benevolence and generosity and going that extra mile like Jesus talks about. So I found this really helpful definition uh, for this word. Goodness is practical love. Goodness is practical love. So it's what you do to practically love and help somebody else. It's tangibly doing good to them and for them. So if you're walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, which Paul talks about all throughout this passage, uh, that means you're going to be tangibly practicing love towards other people. So this definition of goodness, it's in exact contrast to what he says before this. So he lists out the works of the flesh, he calls them, and then he contrasts that with uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And so think about goodness in contrast to what I'm about to read from right before this. This is 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So they're going to show up in your life if you're following the works of the flesh or if you're following the fruit of the spirit, you're good. that's going to be evident in your life too. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, and then these specifically are the opposite of goodness. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So let me just take two of these, for example, and contrast them with goodness. Number one, rivalries, he says. Rivalry is that selfish ambition where you're working for your own good at the expense of other people and using them. While what goodness does is it works for the benefit of other people at your own expense. That's what goodness does. So what would it look like if you pursued goodness at work tomorrow? Instead of pursuing your selfish ambition and trying to rise to the top, make yourself look the best, what if you pursued the good of somebody else at your own expense? What do you think Boise would look like and the business district would look like in Boise if Christians and we as Hill City Church were to live this out each and every day? I think it would look a lot different. Let me contrast one more. Envy versus goodness. Envy is bitterness towards somebody else because of what they have or what they represent. And here's what envy says. It says, I want what you have, but not only that, 
I don't want you to have what you have. And so here's the contrast. Envy desires to take while goodness desires to give. Man, in our culture, we are a take, take, take culture. What can I get from me, myself, and I? Well, what if the church was this countercultural force that said, I want to actually give away what I have and be generous? And I think the world would look a lot different. So that is the fruit of goodness. That's what it is. That's what it's not. We've got to define that before we get into this next question of, is God good? Because we have to think about all these things, the definition, do those fit with God and align with him and his character? Uh, When we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we're not just talking about the characteristics that each and every one of us are to display in our lives, but we're talking about the very characteristics of God himself. And maybe you have struggled with that question, is God good? I've certainly wrestled with that question throughout my life. And maybe you think, wait, aren't you the pastor? You're not supposed to be thinking about that question. You're supposed to have it all together, right? Wrong. I'm a human. You're a human. And so we've all gone through seasons where we're like, oh yeah, obviously God is good. He's, He's great. Love it. Right? It's, I don't even question it. And then we go through these other seasons where it's like the only thing on our mind is like, God, are you good? What are you, what are you doing? Where are you? Why is this happening to me? So I'm going to share with you some stories in a little bit. But first, what I think we can do that's always so helpful when we're in one of those seasons of, of asking this question is to go back to the truth of Scripture talking about who God really is and all the good things he has done. So three points. Number one, God is a good father. Matthew 7, 7 through 11, this is what Jesus says about the goodness of God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everybody who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father who is in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. So that's, that's the first point. That's from Jesus himself. God is a good Father. We are his children. And we are beloved. One of my friends, uh, she said that she conceptually understood this throughout most of her life, but it wasn't until she held her daughter in her hands for the very first time that she realized just how much God must love us. When she looked down on her child and just had that immense amount of love for her daughter, she realized this is how much, this is probably a smaller amount, (laughs) this is how much God loves each and every one of us. That's the truth. God loves us as one of his own children because we are. And not only that, He is a good father, but he loves to give us good gifts. And so that's that's the good things that God does for us. Parents in the room, don't you love to give your children good gifts? Whether it's their birthday or Christmas or something else, and you just see the joy on their face. Doesn't it give you joy to give good gifts to your children? And how much more joy does God receive when he gives good gifts to each and every one of us? There's nothing that our Father in heaven won't do for us. And when you're in those seasons of doubt and questioning and wondering, is God good? 
Look back at the gifts. Look back at all the good things that God has done for you because this is your evidence. This is your evidence of God's goodness is what he has done for you in the past. Go back and look. What prayers did God answer? What promises did God fulfill? What has God done for you in the past? That is evidence of God's goodness to you in the present. So that's number one. Jesus says, God is a good father. You're his beloved child. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you. Number two, looking at Romans 8, 28. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Point number two, God works all things together for good. And that's become a Christian cliche over the years. And by the way, if somebody's going through a hard time, just don't, don't tell them this. Like, they don't need to hear that. They just need your comfort. They just need your presence in their lives. But the reality is, this is still true. Even if it's become a, a cliche, this is scripture. God does work all things together for good. He can redeem any situation, no matter how difficult it seems to be. I'll tell you, probably the hardest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Very bad situation uh, that happened to me when I was in high school, right before my senior year. Uh, I ended up getting jumped by a guy who was intoxicated, slamming from, from behind, slamming down, slamming my face into the pavement several times, um, threw me around a little bit, pulled me by my hair, told me I was going to get raped and shot and killed. And after that, uh, obviously went through counseling and worked through it. That was well over a decade ago. But after that, I could not help but question, is God good? God, why would you allow that to happen to me? That, that evil that happened to me, why, why would you allow that? And a year and a half before this, I had become a follower of Jesus. And so I didn't doubt the existence of God. Man, I knew God is real but I did doubt his goodness. About a month later, I was walking with my youth pastor, taking a hike with him over in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. And this is the most amazing guy on the planet. I love this guy. And he was talking with me through this whole scenario, through this situation. And he said, you know, this is like, this is terrible. What happened to you is, is not okay. It's not good. But I do think at some point, God's going to use this. And at that moment, I didn't, I didn't really believe him. But at the same time, that's just stuck in my head. And I was thinking, maybe God will use this. And several weeks after that, I ended up getting a phone call late one night from a friend uh, who had just been abused by her stepdad. And she called me and she's talking to me about what just happened. And I was surprised at how similar some of the details were between my story and hers. And I didn't have all the answers for her in that moment, but what I did have was the ability to relate to her and to bring comfort to her in that moment. And God's been able to use my story in that situation to help other people. And so in that moment, I realized, even though this thing is not good and it's not from God, God did not cause that to happen to me. He redeemed it and he's using it for good and for a purpose. And he can do that in your life as well, no matter how, how hard the situation might be. God works all things together for good. Number three, 
looking at the promises of God. This is an Old Testament passage, then we'll go to a New Testament passage. Joshua 23, 14, when he's talking to the people of Israel, he says this, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. 2 Corinthians 1.20, this is also from Paul who wrote the letter to Galatians. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so this is point number three, that God fulfills his promises. You might be thinking, what does that have to do with the goodness of God? Well, oftentimes when we're waiting and when we're in this long season of waiting and patience, that's when that question starts to creep up in our minds. God, what are you doing? Where are you in the midst of this? I've been waiting for so long. Are you good? Are you gonna come through for me? The reality is that God always fulfills his promises, but it's rarely according to our timetable and to our expectations. Let's take a look at the, the life of Joseph as a case study for one moment concerning this. Joseph was 17 years old when he received this prophetic dream from God about his future. And it was this, he would be a ruler and that he would reign over his brothers. And then there's a lot that happens between him getting that dream and then it being fulfilled. First of all, he tells his brothers this. You think that's a good idea? No, it's not. In fact, they're like, let's kill this guy. They take their brother, they throw him in a pit, and they're like, let's leave him for dead. And then it says they're eating lunch, and they're like, wait, actually, we could sell him as a slave and get some money. So they do that instead, and then he gets sold as a slave. He ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. Well, he ends up actually rising to the top and becoming the manager over all of Potiphar's estate. But... Potiphar's wife, super into Joseph, all right? Joseph, it says, is a really good-looking guy, definitely does CrossFit. <laughs> um, yeah, super ripped kind of guy, looking really good. So one day, I mean, she's, she keeps telling him, like, hey, let's uh, get together. He's like, no, I don't do that. And then finally, she, like, grabs his clothes, and he runs away, and it says she still has his clothes. So she's somewhere on the property, not clothed, and she has his clothes, and she keeps it till her husband gets home, and then he's like, wait, what? And she says, yeah, he tried to sleep with me. So then Potiphar throws him in prison for this false accusation, throws him in prison. Now he's in prison, He went from being in a pit, going to die, to being a slave, to now being in prison. And then there's, he ends up, again, rising to the top. He's overseeing the prison, which is interesting. And then these two guys who work in Pharaoh's court, they come in and they have these dreams. Joseph interprets them, but he's like, please don't forget me when you leave this place. Guess what? They forget him. And then eventually he's able to, they hear um, Pharaoh hears about that he, this guy can interpret dreams. So he brings him into his court. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh's like, who else is like this in all the land? Let's make him number two. So Joseph finally becomes number two in all of Egypt. And he becomes a ruler. So that prophetic dream, part of it is fulfilled right there. Let me ask you this. How many years do you think it was between Joseph receiving that dream and it being fulfilled? 13 years. Yes, somebody just said it. 13 years. He was 17, then he was 30 
for that happened. And a lot of rough stuff happened in between that. Are you willing to wait 13 years for God to fulfill a promise in your life? And then it's another seven years until his brothers come to Egypt looking for food because there's this famine. And the rest of the prophetic dream is fulfilled as his brothers realize it's him and they bow down in fear. But Joseph, being a righteous and good man, this is his mature response response to his brothers. This is what he says to them. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so Joseph knows this principle number two, that God works all things together for good. And even though his brothers did evil against him, God turned it for good. The same is true for your life. God can take what is evil and he can turn it for good. He will fulfill his promises. It might not be according to your timetable or your expectations, but he will fulfill them. And it's often greater than what you were even thinking. Joseph is number two in all the land of Egypt, right? That's probably greater than he was even expecting. And God does that for each of us. So three points. God is a good father. He works all things together. And he will fulfill his promises to you. So that's the foundation for goodness. And if we're going to talk about continuing to do good, we got to talk about God being good because he is the source of good. He's the one who we draw goodness from. So if we want to keep doing good, how do we continue even though we're tired, even though we're weary? Uh, Paul, a few verses later from the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 6, this is what he says to the Galatian church. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everybody, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul says, it's the Christian's job to do good to all people, no matter their background, no matter who they are, and especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to the people in the church, to the people in this room. We're called to do good. And he says, don't grow weary of doing good. What causes you to grow weary? Maybe it's people who are ungrateful. You've been giving and and giving and they just don't seem to care. Or maybe they actually are complaining (laughs) about what you're giving. Uh, Maybe it's the overwhelming amount of need that's in front of you. You see that and you're like, wow, this, I'm, I'm tired just looking at this. I haven't even started, but this seems like too big of a need. Or maybe it's long seasons of pouring out and giving day after day. Think about, I think about those nurses, those 12-hour shifts day after day, week after week. Maybe that's causing you to grow weary. Or maybe it's this, not seeing the fruit not seeing the fruit of your labors, not seeing the results, not seeing that, that harvest. And Paul says, don't give up. Why is that? Because there is a harvest. If you do not give up, you will reap a harvest. You will see the fruit of your labors. Nothing that you do will be in vain. Eugene Peterson in the message, he paraphrases our passage like this. He says, so let's not allow ourselves to get what? Fatigued doing good. 
At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. And so all those hours that you put into teaching your students and all that time you took care of patience, um, all that time you were spending time doing good with your family and your kids, um, all those things, big or small, that you've done, all the good things that you've done, they will not be wasted. We will reap a harvest. We will see the fruit of those labors. And maybe it won't be on this side of eternity. You might not see the full extent of that fruit on this side of eternity. But Jesus promises that when he comes back, if you look in 1 Corinthians 15, that he says, this will all be worth it. Every single good thing that you do will show up in eternity. So do not give up. You will reap a harvest. Uh, Craig Rochelle, I saw him post this this week. He said, if you're tempted to quit, remember why you started. The more God wants to use you, he says in the caption, the more God wants to use you, the more likely you'll be tempted to quit. But don't quit. Stay the course. Wait on God. So solution number one that helps us to keep doing good is to know that none of the good that you do will be wasted. You will see the fruit of your labors one day. But there's a second solution that helps us to keep doing good and to receive power to do it. Uh, This comes from one of the four passages. I said that the word goodness only shows up four times in the entire New Testament. This is one of the other places that it shows up in 2 Thessalonians. This is also from Paul. He says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus, may be glorified in you. Here's the truth. You can't do this on your own. Day after day after day of giving and doing good, doing kind, good, generous things. Man, you can't do it on your own because your, your willpower, your human strength is small and it will get depleted. But what Paul says here is that there is a power, there's a higher power from the Holy Spirit himself that can empower you in every situation to do good. And in fact, Galatians 5, Galatians 6, which we've been talking about today, the whole context of that is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who you're walking by, keeping in step with. He's the one who's going to empower you. He's the one who's going to give you the opportunities to, good, to do good. He is the one who is with you. And so this whole context is, with, is in context of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Scott McKnight says about our life with the Spirit. He says, we see here that one does not gain this life by discipline or by mustering up the energy. One does not huddle with oneself in the morning, gather together his or her forces, and charge onto the field of life full of self-determined direction. Rather, the Christian life is a consistent surrender to the Spirit. That is how you live the Christian life. That is how you continue to do good day in and day out. So this is our main point for today. If you want to keep doing good, surrender to the source of goodness. God is good. He is the source of all goodness. If you want the power and the energy and strength and the opportunity to keep doing good, surrender to him and he will show you. So let me just conclude with some examples here. 
I think that examples help us to see what good could do, what we could do for good. It also just kind of inspires us, gives us energy, creative ideas for goodness. This is, these are specific examples from the people of Hill City. There's so many more examples that I, I could not fit into this. There's even some that I had to cut for today. But the people of Hill City are just amazing. And by that, I mean you. <laughs> you guys are incredible. Number one, here is some examples. There's a friendship meal that happens every second Thursday of the month, which is this Thursday, if you want to join them. There's a life group and several other individuals that go, uh, we meet. They meet down at First Presbyterian right here and serve uh, meals to those who are experiencing homelessness or anybody in need. And they do that month after month. Boise High. Uh, several people from our congregation make snacks and treats for the 200 staff and teachers at Boise High every single month. Uh, InterVarsity. Is my InterVarsity crew here today? No, that's fine. They don't. <laughs> Skipping church. Okay. Long weekend. Get it? You're here. Okay. Much love. Um, InterVarsity uh, College Ministry. Uh, they are an incredible campus ministry at BSU. And several of our people in life groups uh, have banded together to bring treats and snacks to their gathering every single week for the last two years. And in fact, there was a life group of fifth grade boys that made a bunch of cupcakes for their group. So you got 10-year-olds making cupcakes for 20-year-olds. Is that not goodness? That's goodness. Uh, in the fall, the People of Hill City partnered with Briley's Blankets to make 55 fleece blankets uh, for pediatric cancer patients. Uh, and Briley herself is a Hill City youth and a cancer survivor. And she says this is her way of giving back to the people who have given uh, to her in her time of need. And so the people of Hill City partnered with her. Also something that we did in December that we do every year is the impact tree. And this year, all those tags went to benefit Chrysalis and the Boise Retirement Home. And there was 125 tags taken this year, which is 50 more than we've ever had in the past. And 125 gifts were purchased, were delivered, were given to people this Christmas from the people of Hill City Church. And here's one opportunity for doing good that's upcoming for the whole month of April. I would call it spring cleaning, and this is going to benefit the Boise Rescue Mission and River Rock Church in the Philippines, which is a mission organization that we support here. Uh, but we're going to be collecting goods, clothing, uh, clothing items, um, toys uh, for these two organizations, and that's going to be running through the whole month of April. So love to have you mark that down on your calendar, get some things and some supplies ready uh, to do good for Boise Rescue Mission and River Rock Church. But does that get you excited for doing good? A little bit, yes. Put a little fuel in the tank. Um, we're going to close by talking about five practices, uh, five quick practices. Number one, how do you actually do this? Number, surrendering to the source and doing good. Number one, rest in God's good presence and receive his goodness. And if you want to have goodness to give, you got to spend time in the presence of a good God. And so set a time this week, maybe it's in the morning or late at night, to, to be alone with God. Uh, maybe throwing on some worship music or reading scripture, um, whatever that, maybe even just sitting in pure silence before God. What is that time and that place for you to receive his goodness? Uh, for me, it's sitting in the corner of my living room, 
in front of the only window that gets pure sunlight, sitting in my Tommy Bahama beach chair, which on the back says, relax. (laughs) So you got to obey the chair. I sit in that chair and I receive God's goodness. It's my favorite place to receive it. When you are doing this practice, here's what's going to happen. You're going to realize, one, you are not responsible for the problems in the entire world. That God is the one who is sovereign and he's holding all things together. And so you can take the weight of the world off your shoulders and put it in the hands of our sovereign God. Secondly, when you're doing this practice, you will remember that you're not only just a doer of good for God, you are one of his beloved children. He doesn't want to just use you. No, he, he loves you as one of his kids. So rest in God's presence, receive his goodness. Number two, ask the spirit for strength and for help. Like I said, we can't do this on our own. We need the spirit of God to empower each and every one of us. And so when you're tired and when you've been late on that shift, 11th hour, or maybe just doing good and you want to keep doing it, but you're tired, ask the spirit of God in that moment for strength and for for power, for help, and he will. He will give it to you. Secondly, ask the Spirit for opportunities. And when you do, keep your eyes peeled because the Holy Spirit will put some opportunities to do good right in front of your face. And you you might be like, whoa, that was a crazy coincidence. That's not a coincidence. That's the Spirit of God giving you that opportunity. So ask the Spirit for power and ask the Spirit for opportunities. Number three, do good in secret. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is actually an ancient Christian practice called secrecy. And it's simply doing good deeds, doing good things in secret. This is just between you and God. And this is something that helps grow you and your own character. And this is something that the Father will reward you for. And on the flip side of that, we do good in secret and on our own, but we also do good with others. One of the reasons that you might be tired and you've grown weary of doing good is because you've been doing it all by yourself. When you need to realize, look to your left, look to your right. You got people to do good with. Do good with others. And lastly, do good by sharing the good news. Man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us is the gospel, is the good news. And we don't do good in order to be saved. No, we do good because we are saved. And we want other people to know that same good news. And so we share it with them. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to receive that good news, it's available free today for you. You can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. We'd love to talk to you more about baptism, which you can sign up at hillcityboise.org slash, what is it? Baptism. We say it every single week. You might be tired of it. We're not. We never will be. Uh, So do good by sharing the good news. Those are just five simple practices for surrendering to the source, surrendering to the spirit, and continuing to do good as believers. Let me conclude with this. The band's gonna come up. This is a passage uh, on God's gift of salvation and his purpose for every single one of us. He says this in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody could boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Surrender to the spirit. Let's continue to do good church. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your abundant goodness to each and every one of us here in this room. And if we could just hear all the collective stories about all the good things that you've done for each person in this room, our faith would skyrocket. You are good. And you've proven it to us time and time again, namely through the cross of Christ. And so we ask your Holy Spirit to come and to empower us as your church, as your people, as individuals, as we go from this place, as we work on Monday morning and throughout the rest of the week, would you give us opportunities to do good to the people around us? God, take what is in our heart, this desire to do good and empower us to go and to do it. And may the people who see these things these good things that we do, may they give glory to your name, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.